Bless the Lord. Let's take our seats. Thank you, Gary, Dave, Margaret, Lauren, Stephen, and Ruth. The Lord richly bless you. Just let the children slip out. And we'll turn to the book of Romans, please. Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. A very simple message tonight. Simply entitled also, Christ died. Christ died. Romans chapter 5, beginning to read verse 6, please. And we'll be going through some scriptures throughout the New Testament. We'd ask you, to, if you're if your Bible, you like to flick a, I'd like you to read them, get them into you. They're very simple ones, but we want to dissect them and make a couple of points. Romans 5, verse 6. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet, peradventure, for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. We'll stop there. As I said, keep your Bible open, but let's just buy in a word of prayer. Father, this evening, we thank you, Lord, that your Son has died for us. We thank you, Lord, that he has risen for us. And this evening, Lord, we ask you now to take your word through your Holy Spirit, which you've given to us. And Lord, that you would take it and wing it home to every heart, to every believer, Lord. May they be strengthened and renewed in the gospel. And if there's one here that knows not your Son as Lord and Saviour, Lord, we pray that you would speak to their hearts and help us all to have a fresh vision, a revelation that Christ died. Father, thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that you came. And we ask you now, Lord, to shut us in with yourself. Take opposing spirits or distracting thoughts of the day. And Lord, we ask you to bind them under the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, that your name would be exalted in this house tonight. We worship you and we love you and we praise you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Paul tells us in our reading this evening, Romans chapter 5, in verse 6 he tells us Christ died for the ungodly. And then in verse 8 he tells us Christ died for us. So what does that tell you about the state of the human heart? And what does that tell you about every man and woman from Adam. What does it tell you about the man who thinks he's a righteous man outside of Christ? Or for the woman who thinks that she is a goodly woman, that is, good in the eyes of the Lord. What does that tell us? It tells us that we 
at one time were ungodly outside of Christ. That we were sinners. In other words, we were under the wrath of God and we were without strength unable to save ourselves and our own merit. Now people get a little annoyed and they would fall out with you. They take offense when you say that you're ungodly. And they would fall out with you, get annoyed and take offense when we say that you're unsaved because you're a sinner. And yet the Bible tells us that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's every single one of us have sinned and come short of God's glory. There's two words I want to lift out just to, just to throw at you tonight. That you'll take it in and think about it. Two words in our reading that comes up that revolutionizes a man and a woman's life. That turns a man and a woman's heart around. That changes desires. The men who cannot give over the things that they hold on to. When they realize these two words through the power of the Spirit and in the grace of God. It changes their life. It gives them new desires. They become new creatures when they realize this. They realize their inability to save themselves. They realize the depravity of human nature. They realize on their own merit they are lost. They realize they are ungodly no matter how good or how nice their works are. No matter what sort of person they are, they realize they are a sinner in need of a savior. Two words in our reading turns the world around. Two words in our reading tonight can turn your world around. Two words when taken on board and right into our heart and manifest in our life and revealed unto us will be able to change everything. The difference between light and darkness. The difference between saved and unsaved. The difference between life and death. Wrath and mercy. Two words. What are these two words In our reading in verse 6, are they without strength? No. Are they in due time? The answer is no. Is it in verse 7 where it speaks of a righteous man or good man? The answer is no. Verse 8 speaks of God commendeth. Not that either. His love ain't even the two words either. The two words that we are looking for are found in two of the verses. Verse 6 and again in verse 8. It tells us in verse 6, Christ died for the ungodly. And in verse 8, it tells us Christ died for us. You and I are ungodly without the power of the Spirit of God in our life. You and I are ungodly without the cleansing of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. You and I are ungodly in the sight of our Father in heaven, outside of the great sacrifice of Christ on the cross. And there's many nice people, good people, helpful people, people with good lifestyles and nice lifestyles, people who would put some Christians to shame, and yet they're unsaved. And when God looks at them, they think in their own selves, I'm not a bad person. God sees them as a sinner. God sees them ungodly. God sees them lost and without hope in the world. Christ died for the ungodly. Christ died for us. 
And notice what it says again in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 3. It says, Christ died for our sins. Now notice that. Not Christ died for his sins. Not Christ died for something he had done. Christ need not have died if he wanted to leave us to go to a lost eternity, to spend eternal punishment in hell. If Christ wanted to do that, he could have done that. But rather Christ died for our sins. He knew no sin. He did no sin. He was yet without sin. He was the sinless, spotless, impeccable Son of God. And yet he came, he bled and he died for our sins. He took our sins in his own body on the tree. And you and I were dead in our sins, but he made us the righteousness of God in him. So when Christ died on the cross, he takes your sin. When Christ cried on the cross, it is finished. He buries your sin when he takes it and goes to the grave. When Christ died, Christ took all our sins from as far as the east is from the west. So far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Sin is a transgression of the law. Sin is a transgression of the law. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. For God hath not appointed us to wrath. Now take note of that. Take note, God has not appointed us to wrath. In other words, those of us whom God has chosen from before the foundation of the world... Those of us who have made our calling and our election sure. Those who have come to saving faith through the irresistible grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Those of us who have come and bowed the knee at the foot of the old rugged cross. And repented of their sins and are washed in the blood and are filled with the Holy Ghost. God has not appointed us to wrath. In other words there is a time. The word appointed Gives the idea of a definite time, but we just don't know when. That's the idea of it. It's like the word predestination. There was a point in time previous, but we just don't know when. And here there is an appointed time for you, my friend, if you're outside of Christ, when you will stand before Almighty God in your sin, and you are appointed unto wrath if you're outside of Christ. No matter how good you are, no matter how hard you try, no matter what background you're from, no matter what, you are appointed unto wrath. He who hath the Son hath life. And he who hath not the Son hath not life, but the wrath of God abideth upon him. In other words, those who have not come to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, who have come under the sound of the gospel of saving grace, yet turned themselves away, They are under the wrath of God. Tonight, and God in his mercy, and God in his grace, and God in his goodness, and God in his kindness has brought you here again. And brought you here that you would listen to the word of God and that you would hear that Christ died. He'll change your life. He'll change your life. He'll change your desires. 
He'll change everything about you. He'll change a home. He'll change a marriage. He will change the position you are in before Almighty God in heaven. In other words, he will take you from darkness to light. He will take you from unrighteousness to righteousness. He will take you and make you his child, born of the Holy Ghost, washed in the blood, saved for time and for eternity. All because Christ died for the ungodly. Christ died for us. Christ died for our sins. Notice what it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, notice, but to obtain salvation. But to obtain salvation. In other words, you know what it means when you go to obtain something. It means that something comes and you lay hold on it. You make it your own. You claim it for yourself. It is yours and yours alone. As though only you and you alone can hold it and can own it and stick fast to it. You obtain this salvation through the grace of Almighty God coming to meet you at the place and point that you are at and at the point of your need. Here God comes to you tonight and he says, Will you obtain the salvation that has been wrought by my son. Notice, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 10 says, who died for us? Who died for us? So here, the Bible throughout tells us that Christ died in these books. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 9. The writer says this, but we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. Think about that. Let's just pause for a moment and think about that. But we see Jesus. There's a sermon in itself. But we see Jesus, the Greeks who came and says, says they wanted to see Jesus. We would see Jesus, they said. They, they heard about him. They heard of his works and his miracles. His heart of forgiveness, the things that he says and the things that he teaches and all that he does. And they turn around and they say, we must find out more about this man. And they come and they say, we would see Jesus. They wanted to see this wonderful man of Galilee. They wanted to see Jesus of Nazareth and meet him and look full in his wonderful face. They wanted to come and hear him and listen. They wanted to take the word in their heart. They wanted to see Jesus. I hear the Hebrew writer says, but we see Jesus. Do you know, you can only see Jesus through the eye of faith. You can only see Jesus through the gift of the Holy Ghost. And tonight the prayer is that you would see Jesus. That you would see him with the eye of faith. That you would be regenerated in your heart to be able to lay hold on the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. That you would see him and behold him for a glance at him would would save you. But staring and gazing upon him will sanctify you. Christian, will you see Jesus tonight? See him anew. Will you see him afresh tonight? While we ask those who are ungodly and those who are sinners and those who are outside of Christ and those who are unsaved to see Jesus. While we pray that the Holy Spirit imparts that saving faith to them. 
And while we're looking for it, believer, I ask you, would you behold Jesus tonight? Would you see him in all his splendor and all his beauty and all that he's done for us and get a fresh reality of the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us? For if you do, and when you do, it will stir your heart again that you'll burn with the the, the burning fire and zeal that you once had with your first love. You know what it's like, believer, to have a first love. You know the way your heart once was when you heard of the Lord Jesus and you met him. And you saw him for the first time. Oh, you fell in love with him. And the more you followed him, the closer you got to him. And the closer you got to him, the more you fell in love with him. And just this cycle and circle was going on and on. He got sweeter and sweeter as the days go by, as the hymn writer said. And oh, there is nothing too much to ask of you to do for the service of the king. There's nothing too big that you would say no. There's nothing too small that you would think little of it. Oh, you'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. But now, how the fires have went cold. How the fire has went cold. And oh, those priests and Israel, the The fire of God would come down on the altar when the sacrifice was on it. Listen, if there's no sacrifice, there's no fire. Believer, you are to present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Putting yourself on the line again. Putting yourself on the altar again. Saying, Lord, there's nothing too great for you to ask of me. Lord, for you died for me. But we see Jesus. Oh, to see him again tonight. When the fire came down on the altar, the priests of Israel saw God light the fire, but the priests had to keep it lit. We're kings and priests unto our God. It's up to you and your relationship with him. It's up to you and your communion and fellowship with him to keep the fire on the heart's altar lit every day. It's like Keith Green saying, Lord, please light the fire that once burned bright and clear. Replace the lamp of my first love that burned with holy fear. Your heart burning for him. Oh, if we've seen him, here is consecration. You can gaze at him, unbeliever, gaze at him and realize who he is and realize where you are. And thou shalt be saved when you call on him. But oh, believer, since you've been to the foot of the cross, when you look at him and stand and stare and stop and wait and just behold him, but we see Jesus and to see him it will sanctify you. It will consecrate your life. And the fires on the altar of your heart will burn again when we catch a glimpse of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is all our heart's desire. He is the chiefest among 10,000. 
You know what that means? Not just the chiefest among 10,000 and everyone else could be better. Get 10,000 priests. That Catholic priest now. Talking about the priests in, in Israel. Get 10,000 priests. And put Jesus in the middle. And he's the chiefest. Get another 10,000 of them. And he's the chiefest. Get another 10,000. And he's the chiefest. Get 10,000 sacrifices. And his is the chiefest. And another 10,000. And his is the chiefest. And another 10,000. And his is the chiefest. Get 10,000 kings. And put Christ in the middle. And he's the king of kings. And the lord of lords. He is the chiefest among 10,000 of our souls this evening. He is the chiefest. Here says, but we see Jesus. Notice who was made a little lower than the angels. In other words, he took not on him the form of an angel, as in the sense a spiritual body, but he took upon him the seed of Abraham. He became a man of flesh and blood. He came and he walked the scene of time. And he knows what it's like to be hungry. And he knows what it's like to be thirsty. And he knows what it's like to be tired. And he knows what it's like to be scorned. And he knows what it's like to be rejected. And he knows what it's like to be tried. And he knows what it's like to be tempted. He knows all the things you're going through. In fact, Christ died. He entered the veil of death, which none of us have yet entered. But he came out the other side with victory. As Almighty God, he knows me. As Almighty God, he knows you. But as the Son of Man, the Son of God, He understands me. He understands you. In all the humanity, he came. He was made a little lower than the angels. We would see Jesus, who's made a little lower than the angels. This is the same one whom Isaiah saw in Isaiah chapter 6. It says that he saw the Lord high and lifted up on his throne, and his train filled the temple. He says, and above him stood the seraphims, each having six wings, and with twain they covered their face, and with twain they covered their feet, and with twain or with two they did fly, and one cried unto the other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. This is the one who died for me. And who died for you. Took on the seed of Abraham. Became flesh for us. The one whom the angels worshipped. He took a great stoop. The theological term is the kenosis passage. When he became man. He set aside as it were. His deity. Not that he was never God. He was always God. That means he veiled his deity. And he went to the cross and died. My God. My God. Why hast thou forsaken me? He cries. Crying as a man to the Father. Fulfilling another scripture. Psalm 
65. O thou that hearest prayer, unto thee shall all flesh come. We see Jesus, who's made a little lower than the angels. He became lower than those who worshipped him in the glory. And what did he come for? For the suffering of death. Notice, for the suffering of death. You know, we talk about putting animals down humanely when they're very sick and they won't recover. Or they've been injured or in an accident or something. And it's humanely they're put down. Even places where the, the death penalty are, you know, we have to do this humanely and, uh, and without pain. It's a little nice and easy injection and the fall asleep and all this sort of stuff. That wasn't for Jesus. That wasn't for the one whom angels worshipped. That wasn't for the one whom the, 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 the beast and the elders fall down before and cry his name and his glory all over the courts of heaven. No, he came and he hung and he bled on a, and died on a cross at Calvary. And he hung in sin and shame, not his own sin, but your sin. For he became that sin, our sin for us. He was made a little lower than the angels for you. Well, Maybe it wasn't for me, no friend, it was for you. Christ was made a little lower than the angels for you. Christ went to the cross of Calvary for you. Christ shed his blood and died for you. And for you alone. I can say it was for me. You can say it was for you. Christ died for me. Apostle Paul says, Galatians 2 and 20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Christ gave himself for you that you would be saved. Brother, can you see him tonight? Sister, but we see Jesus. Oh, if our church here in Donnacloney saw Jesus afresh, just one glimpse, if Christ would just open our eyes again, just unveil the very, the very darkness that's come over our hearts and pierce through all of the circumstances that stained and tinted our spiritual eyes and clothed our minds and all those things that's beset us and held us back and pulled us down. If we tonight could just see Jesus, this place would be turned around Donna Cloney would be saved tonight Ulster would be turned around these islands would turn back to their God if we could just see Jesus he touched a little band in the upper room and filled them with the Holy Ghost 120 went out and turned the world upside down. Imagine, can you imagine going to in the Bonbridge and Portadown, Lurgan, Lisburn, Belfast? You know, and we're hearing about the things that are happening all around the place with, with trouble here and there, and things are upside down. <laughs> can you imagine getting in with the fullness of the gospel and the power of the Holy Ghost? 
Can you imagine when the Lord comes and you start preaching the gospel and the Lord, we have seen Jesus with a burning zeal and a passion and fire in our hearts. You go to your workplace and you go to your families and you go in your out shop and you can't stop talking about Jesus. When you meet somebody in the street, you can't stop talking about Jesus. Whenever you're going wherever, uh, away on holidays, you're sitting beside somebody and you can't stop talking about Jesus. Oh, wherever you are, you can't stop talking about Jesus. And you know why? Because you've seen him. He's in your mind and he's in your heart. He's like fire. Shut up in my bones. Oh, can you imagine the apostles that went out, knows 120 in the upper room. You know what the, the cry was about them? Whether it was a riot or a revival everywhere they went. There was a riot and a revival. And what we're told today is let's be politically correct. Let's take it easy. Use wisdom. Okay, let's use wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Let's start fearing him. Let's start putting him first. That's wisdom. That's wisdom. You know what they said about them? These men have turned the world upside down. See Emmons and Donna Cloney, something about them. They must have got a touch or something. <laughs> Touching the head maybe, but they must have got a touch. They've turned the world. They're turning the village. They've turned everything upside down. All we hear is Christ is the king. And Christ is God. But we see Jesus. Two words that changes is Christ died. Without the death of Christ, he didn't swoon. He didn't faint. He didn't go into a trance. We are told time and again. Christ died. See, if Jesus did not die, then you're still in your sin and so am I. If Jesus didn't die, there was no need of a resurrection. You and I are not justified in the sight of God. We still bear all of our sin if Christ need not die. But the Bible tells us Christ died. Notice, Let's read Hebrews 2 and 9. But we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor. There he is, the resurrected king, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. So here's a question to you, friend. How would you get into the kingdom? How will you get to heaven? Think about it. Are you all right the way you are? If you're all right the way you are, then Jesus need not have died. Let me say it again. If you are okay the way you are, then Jesus Christ need not have died. In other words, if you say even that you are saved through your denomination, or you're saved because you come to Donna Cloney Elam, Friend, you're as lost as a goose in a storm. No church can save you. Only Christ saves. And Christ alone. Notice what 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18 says. For Christ also hath suffered for sins. For our sins, that is. Notice the just for the unjust. Here we are, ungodly. 
Now we're unjust, we are sinners, the just for the unjust. And why? That he might bring us to God. In other words, you and I cannot get to God, we can't go to God, for Christ died to enable you to get to God. I am the way, he said, the truth and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. He didn't say I am one way among many. I am a certain way. I am maybe a way. He said I am exclusively. He says I am the way. Now you see, you get into trouble by the politically correct police, whenever you know, whenever you say those things, that Christ is the only way. Friend, Christ is the only way. He alone is Savior and none other. Here we have Peter telling us, Christ also suffered, hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust. Notice that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh. Now that's strong, isn't it? I hope you're grasping this. I, I hope this is sinking into you. I hope this is really, the believer's not being, listen to the, listen to the language of it. Listen to how, how it flows. Listen to the, to the import of it, the depth of it. Being put to death in the flesh. Think about that. Here's the ever-living one. Here is he who alone hath immortality, the Bible says. He tastes death for all of us by clothing himself and going to the cross of Calvary. And he's put to death in the flesh. He knows what it's like when you're slipping into eternity. He was put to death in the flesh. Notice, praise God, but quickened. (laughs) But quickened, the word quickened means revived. Made alive by the Spirit. They put him to death and they carried him and placed him in the tomb and rolled a great stone across the tomb's mouth. And they set the the soldiers on guard around it. And they put a great seal upon it. And they said, there he is. He is put to death in the flesh. But three days later, the stone was rolled away. And Christ was living again. He was quickened by the Spirit. Alive forevermore. Put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. So here's four things we looked at. One, Christ died for our sins. Two, Christ died that we might obtain salvation. Three, Christ died for every man. Four, Christ died to bring us to God. So Romans 5 and verse 6 says, For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Oh, thank you, Lord. Because I was ungodly. Thank you, Lord, that you died for me. 
Thank you, Lord, you died for a wretched sinner like this one you're listening to tonight. Thank you, Lord, that you looked at me, you seen me, you seen my ways, you knew who I was, you seen my inability and all my depravity, you seen the filthiness of the flesh, Lord, you seen my inability to save myself, and Christ died for me. He died for you. Look, you know the only difference between my flesh. And the flesh of somebody that's sitting in a pub tonight. The only difference, mine's is redeemed, willing for the change. There's no difference in the desires of the flesh. Spirit of God within us. The abiding word of Christ dwelling richly in us. That causes us to walk with the Lord. We were yet without strength. In due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Listen to Job chapter 6 and verse 11. Job asked the Lord a question, or he cries it out. Job has lost everything. He's lost his family. He's lost all his, his livestock. He's lost his home. He's lost everything except Job had a nagging wife. And he lost everything but his nagging wife. Now, I didn't look at my wife. Or, actually, I'm looking that way. She's over that side. I have a good wife. I'm not looking that way. I see some of you going like that over to the wife. <laughs> Curse God and die, she said. Boy, there's an encouragement for you, isn't it? When you're going through a hard time. Curse God and die. Job's lost everything. His health is gone. Everything. Listen to what he He cries out. He says, what is my strength that I should hope? (laughs) Notice what he says. What is my strength that I should hope? Look, see everything I I strive for. See everything I hope for. See everything I work for. See everything that that I held so dear. See the things, the desires that I, I labored after and gathered and accumulated and brought together and loved and lived on and cherished and held first in my life. He says, see all of those things? They're gone, they're vanished, they have left me. What is my hope, he says? Where is it? Where is my strength? Do you see when you're in a meeting and the gospel's preached or you're praising the Lord. So the devil can't attack me here. I'm, I'm full of the spirit. <laughs> See when you're sitting in the house and maybe you're on your own and you're not feeling the best, you're not feeling too well. You know what you realize? You realize your own mortality. You realize the real character of who you are. That's why here... Job looks at himself and he realizes, and Job is the best of the, of the bad bunch if you want. He looks at himself and he says, I can't even help myself, the great Job. All that I had, I can't help myself. What is my hope? And Job's hope was in the Lord. Job, the man who lost everything and lost all, asking, what is my hope? Looking to the Lord, the Lord comes and rescues him. And the Lord gives him double 
of what he had lost for his trust was in him. Friends, sometimes you think, I have a lot to give. You know, you can give God nothing. I want to say it again. You can give God nothing. It's God who comes and then fills your heart. It's God who comes and makes you alive. It's God who comes and lets you hear his word. It's God who causes the stirring, who imparts to you saving faith. You can give God nothing, but yet you must leave everything. Jesus says, sell all that you have and give it to the poor. Not sell all that you have and come and give it to me. Just give it to the poor and follow me. Try and round this up. Thank you for your attention. Friend, there's no depth that you've gone to where God's mercy cannot reach you. There's no sin too dark that Christ's blood cannot wash you clean from. There's no one has gone too far that Christ cannot redeem back to himself. And there's none that have fallen that he cannot restore and rescue. For his grace is sufficient for all your needs. I want to look at this and then we'll close. Christ died for the ungodly. 1 Thessalonians 1 and 19 says, Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the ungodly and for sinners. Somebody help the lady here, maybe take the wee child upstairs, maybe, for, maybe sure where to go. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the ungodly and for sinners. Now, see the word ungodly here. Thank you. See the word ungodly. It's a word, asibas. And it means a lack of reverence toward God. It means a lack of reverence toward God. Christ died for those who had a lack of reverence toward him. And for sinners, those who broke his law. That's who Christ died for. In other words, all of us broke his law. And all of us, if not even most of us, had a lack of reverence, even if there was a God. And Christ came to die for you. 1 Peter 4 and 18 says, If the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear. There's something for you. If the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Let me break this down. See the, 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 the word where. If the righteous scarcely be saved, where? The word where is also translated. It's the word poo in the Greek New Testament. And it means in what place? See, if the righteous are only saved because Christ has died for them, they have accepted Christ. He says, then where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? They're saved by, as it were, by the skin of their teeth. 
but through the blood of Christ and his grace. He says, where, in what place will the ungodly stand and in what place will the sinner stand? So how do you stand tonight? In what place would you be? In what place would you stand? That's what Peter's saying. Again, he says, what place would shall the ungodly and the sinners appear? See the word appear? It's the word fino or fino. And it's a strange word. It means to shine. Not strange, the ungodly shining. And sinners shining. Isn't that strange? It also means to be brought forth to light. In other words, the ungodly will stand out, can I use a modern term, like a sore thumb. The ungodly will stand out like a sore thumb. If I come with a great big white sheet across this wall, and it's pure and brilliant white, and yet away in the corner someone has marked it with a dirty mark, a small dirty mark, You'll see that sheet, then you'll look and see the small dirty mark away in the corner. And no matter how many times you look at that pure, brilliant white sheet, all you will see is that little dirty mark in the corner. Such are the ungodly and the sinners before God. And he will see them and pour out his wrath and his judgment upon them. So where will you stand? That's the way it You'll shine in other words, you'll stand out like a sore thumb. Your sin will be upon you. But if you come to Christ, he died for you. And his blood will cleanse you. And you will take the righteousness of Christ upon you. And you will be saved. We're told... Romans 5 and 8, but God commendeth his love towards us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. See the word commendeth, it's a word synistomy. And it means to prove, to establish, to exhibit. Vincent says, God continuously established his love in that the death of Christ remains its most striking manifestation. In other words, God commended, he proved his love. He established his love. He exhibited his love for us. By the giving of the Lord Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. Where will you stand should you go into eternity tonight? Where would you stand should Christ return for we're told when the Lord shall appear? The word appear is actually the same word, to shine bright. He will stand out and all the angels will fill the sky at his coming. But in the center of it all, Christ will stand out in power and great glory. But the sinner will stand out, excuse the expression, like a sore thumb. Where will you stand? You know where the tree falleth, there it will lie. If a tree falls and it lies to the north or to the south, if you come back next year, well, now, nowadays everybody's running around with chainsaws and they're cutting them up for their fires. <laughs> if you run to come back next year, still lying in the same place it fell, that's the condition that you'll be in when you stand before the Lord Jesus.
whatever condition you're found or whatever condition you fall outside of Christ that's a condition you will be judged in may God take his word tonight the Lord loves you brought you here but may he take his word tonight and challenge you and Christian may the fires burn bright in our lives and in our hearts for Christ died and he rose again the third day God bless you all thank you for your attention it's been tremendous it's time to go